Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, good evening to you. Good evening to you too, Andrew. How are you today? I'm great. I really enjoyed our 4-0 win over Everton uh, Oh, it went off a tree. Unbelievable. Did you see that goal from Ben White? Whew. Won't see the <laughs> yeah. likes of that again anytime soon. Special memories, Andrew, that we'll treasure forever. <laughs> Um, yeah. no, my sympathies with uh, the Arsenal fans who travelled from far and wide to attend that game. I must say, I had a few messages of people yeah. on social media who'd you know crossed the Atlantic and the like. Um, must be very, very disappointing for them. Yeah, of course. I had a message today from a, a guy on Twitter as well who'd um, come from South Africa for wow. the Everton game and the PSV game. And there was a, a guy on the Discord as well. Let me see if I can... I should. Uh, the very least I could do is give him a shout-out. Feels like he deserves it. He's come, you know, into another hemisphere. Envoys uh. on the Twitter. Uh, on the Discord, rather. He was... He was over to see the Everton game and the PSV game as well, and now will will not see anything. Um, yeah, you'd be cursing your luck about that. Um, it's strange. It was a strange weekend, actually, without any Premier League football or any football of any kind. It was. I mean, I suppose we might as well just get into it. What What did you think of the decision to postpone football? Um, yeah. It was... Maybe a little bit hasty, and I think what's happened this week as well has has shown that that's probably uh, even more true than it was back then. And look, I just want to say, I know not everyone agrees with this. Some people think it was the right thing to do, and that's absolutely fine. I just happen to think that it was um, uh, uh, the wrong decision, you know, especially as other sports went on. And, you know, if you're talking about respect, if you're talking about paying tribute, all those kinds of things. I don't know how you do that, apart from on an individual basis, if you cancel, you know, football matches where people gather and, and can come together and do those things. Absolutely. And I think, you know, those provide great opportunities uh, for for those moments of remembrance or acknowledgement, mm. whatever it might be. I think it was a, I guess it felt like a bit of a premature decision. It felt like a decision football made thinking, that was the way everything was going to go. And then suddenly other sports were turning around saying, actually, uh, we're going to play. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I know there was some boxing cancelled, but rugby played, as far as I'm aware, cricket played. Um, so, yeah, football was kind of the odd one out in that respect. And, and personally, I think it was a mistake. I don't think it was necessary. I think the games would have provided um, an opportunity for those moments of reflection and you know, potentially in their own way, a tribute if, if, if people feel that's appropriate. Mm. Um, and, you know, in a time of national mourning, if you can call it that, I know it, people's uh, individual responses will differ, but that's what we're being told it is. 
having uh, some sport on the telly or to attend would have been nice. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think it was unfortunate personally that it was cancelled and presents with so, us with some sort of interesting dilemmas moving forward in terms of when these games might be played. And obviously it's not just the Premier League, right? Arsenal have been affected in terms of their Europa League game we discovered today too. Yeah, well, um, Arsenal were supposed to play PSV Eindhoven on, on Thursday. That game has been postponed. And I suppose we could talk about what's going to happen and how that game gets rescheduled and when in a moment. But I saw a lot of, there was a lot of sort of interesting um, reaction to it in that, you know, Chelsea's game against uh, whoever the fuck Chelsea are playing. I don't know who they're playing. I don't care who Chelsea sure. are playing, you know, but whoever the fuck they're playing in the... Uh, Red Champions. Bull Salzburg. Disgustingly sweet energy drink Salzburg. FC. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I still don't care. Um, but that game is going ahead and people are saying, well, why can't why can't Arsenal versus PSV go ahead if Chelsea can go ahead in the Champions League? And, I, you know, I understand that. I mean, it's difficult to know exactly um, what the difference might be, but I do think there is the issue that from Thursday to Monday, the Queen is lying in state, I mm-hmm. think is how they say it. And people, And this is like 24 hours a day people are going to be able to queue up and file past the coffin and pay their respects. Um, So I think the level of policing required from Thursday to Monday is perhaps different than it is earlier in the week. I think that's kind of what I'm, you know, we we understand that the, the, the reason it can't go ahead is because there aren't enough police available to uh, let the game go ahead safely. Arsenal, really wanted to play this game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and about a few days ago, they were pretty confident it would be played. Um, then last night we saw a press conference, or was it the night before? Last couple of days we saw a press conference from Ruud van Nistelrooy over the weekend anyway, mm. in which he said the game was in some doubt. Uh, and then, you know, that came out via the press as well, that there was these police considerations. And ultimately it's gone. And I have to say... My only sort of slight confusion, and don't get me wrong, I'm I'm not in any way disappointed, but is that Brentford has been announced that it will go ahead on Sunday. Um, yeah. With that being a London derby and with the proximity to the state funeral and all those things uh, and it being a Sunday, a bank holiday weekend now, I, I'm sort of surprised that the policing of the PSV game is problematic, that the Brentford can be policed. I wonder if is it, maybe the fact PSV is an evening game makes it more difficult. Yeah, I mean, is it is it a numbers thing? I mean, the 60,000 going to the Emirates for an evening game with a large collection of away fans, and I'm not saying that PSV fans are, you know, just going to come and wreck the place or anything like that, but no. it is a consideration when they, when they hold these games. You know, the management of away fans is certainly uh, part of the planning and, and everything else, and they mm-hmm. would need uh, X amount of police to deal with that element of things, right? Yeah, whereas, and they've moved Brentford forward, interestingly, as well, whereas well, PSV obviously is a, an evening game. Both sets of fans what? You know, will have yeah. had a good time to get a drink before then. Maybe that affects uh, policing think, considerations. I don't know. Do you think that's why they brought Brentford forward? So people Maybe. aren't 
as pissed as they might be if the game was at two o'clock. I mean, I don't know. I mean, even two o'clock's not that long, is it? But, uh, you know, to, to be in the pub beforehand, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was a consideration, but there must be other factors as well in terms of other events occurring in London, maybe across the weekend and mm. trying to distribute them accordingly so you can manage the flow of people, the allocation of police officers. It, it, it's, you know, we're not privy to all the details, but policing was the issue on PSV. And Brentford is going ahead, which I think is a good thing. I mean, I thought that would be the one Premier League game that would no have no chance of getting on because it's a London derby. I mean, um, it's. I mean, you, your geography is better than mine when it comes to to London, obviously. But I mean, yeah. is all? I presume all this sort of stuff. Um, you know, the funeral stuff is. It, is it happening around Westminster? Westminster Abbey? That kind I of. I actually don't know. Actually. Right. I mean, I've not been keeping. Sure. Uh, too up to date with the funeral plans, but I would imagine it will be, um, yeah, you'd think, right? Westminster Abbey, something he, like that. Uh, and is that not more or less like Brentford to Westminster is more or less equidistant from like North London to Westminster? I don't know. Yeah, it's a fair old distance. I mean, Brentford's a fair way out of the way. So, yeah, the funeral will be Westminster Abbey um, right. on Monday at 11 o'clock um but i listen uh, inevitably they've well not inevitably fortunately they've managed to square it and make it work and we're going to have a game this weekend which yeah. i think is a, a really positive thing um i mean it would have been without the brentford game going ahead we'd have had what three weeks because there's um there's an international break isn't there mm. yeah um i mean some games you know have been Cancelled from the weekend. Chelsea's match with Liverpool. Manchester United were due to host Leeds. You can see why that might be why? challenging in why? some respects. Well, I guess just from, a again, a policing perspective. But that that's a long way away. I mean, are they taking police from everywhere to come to London? Is that what that is? Or is there just, is there something about, I know Manchester United versus Leeds is a bit of a spicy fixture at the best of times. Um, you know, between the two sets of fans, it's relatively local, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, are, are they so short on police numbers in Greater Manchester that, I, I mean, I don't, it's, it's hard to understand why some things are happening and some things are not. Like Chelsea versus Liverpool. I mean, it's a, I mean, it could be a, I don't know. Is there much uh, aggro at a game like that? I don't know. I mean, the, the Premier League statement said, following extensive consultation with clubs, police, local safety advisory groups and other relevant authorities, there was no option but to postpone the three fixtures. Brighton Crystal Palace um, has been called, had already been called off because of rail strikes. Well, that's... that's um, that yeah, was that, kind that's of separate spicy. issue. Yeah, they're spicy. They're Brighton, Crystal Palace. They don't like each other at all, do they? Yeah, um, I mean, it's interesting. Chelsea, Liverpool um, and United Leeds are both fixtures with some history. And we might not think of Chelsea and Liverpool as rivals, but they sort of have a uh, an inorganic rivalry, uh, which has kind of come out of the fact they seem mm. to constantly play each other in cup, cup competitions uh, in the last 20 years or so. But I, I don't know. I mean, there's... Uh, you know, there was some. I, I wonder if maybe fan conduct would be a concern. You know, mm. is there is some of this about appearances? Well, I mean, there was the there was the tweet, wasn't there, from Henry Winter the last couple of days, where you know the 
the concern was raised that football fans might not behave themselves in a manner that people uh, considered conducive to, you know, uh, a state of mourning or a state of grief yeah. or whatever, which is, you know, it doesn't surprise me that people would think that. But, uh, you know, at the same time, a healthy society has to be open to reasonable dissent, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, not everybody has to. It's weird. Like, you know, a minute silence. I don't think anybody would really do much in a, in a minute silence. But if there's a few people who, I don't know, boo or whatever, what, what difference does it make, really? Yeah, you know? I mean, you know, Liverpool fans, uh, I, I don't think would mind me saying that in the past, you know, they have, or certainly a large proportion of Liverpool fans, a decent proportion, have shown displeasure towards the national anthem, the royal family to different degrees. Um, the government. The government, certainly. Yeah, and I tend to wonder if kind of from a public relations perspective, if that might have been a factor or consideration in the conversation. Certainly that's been speculated about. Um, and if it was, I tend to agree with you, that's a bit of a shame because, you know, I think it has to be an environment where freedom of expression is permitted. But... It's complicated, though. I accept that is complicated. Um, sure, and it's just one of those where I, you know, you feel like football fans are are viewed through a lens that's different from people who go to rugby or people who go to cricket or or whatever it is, you know. But in some ways, that's I think it's sort of even more of a shame that the games were cancelled in that case. Because yeah, I agree. I agree. There probably would have been opportunities for fans to behave. Uh, well, by and large, but then maybe, and and that maybe that would have been completely, uh, what's the overcast, overshadowed by. Well, yeah, you could have like twenty-five perfectly observed minutes of silence, yeah, and the one that wasn't that would make all the headlines. I mean, you have a minute of applause or two minutes of applause and play the national anthem or whatever it might be. You know, there's ways around that. If you have those concerns, there are ways. Um, you know, to mitigate that. But look, it is what it is. Football was cancelled. Other stuff went ahead. And, you know, now, um, like you say, it's good that Brentford is going ahead because it's one less game we're going to have to schedule for uh, for post-World Cup. Mm-hmm. But the PSV game being postponed is a real problem. Um one of the other things I saw, like a lot of people say, is like, why, why couldn't why couldn't we just play in in uh, in Eindhoven? Just mm. flip the fixture around. And I saw people as well saying, well, you could have it in a neutral venue. I was uh, chatting to someone on Twitter today who was saying, well, you could just go to the Aviva Stadium in Dublin. And you know, with all due respect to those suggestions, I don't know if people quite understand how big an operation it is to stage a football match, particularly at at short notice, because you've got to deal with all the um, stewarding, all the policing, the stadium, the, you know, the facilities, the broadcasting equipment, the hotels, the travel, um, you know, stewards, part-time staff, full-time staff, you know, all of these things um, that, that, are planned weeks and weeks and weeks in advance, it's very difficult to do it at like two or three days' notice. Of course. And then an alternative is, you know, to potentially play the game behind closed doors, but mm. that involves obviously uh, robbing fans of the opportunity to see the game and 
loss of revenue for lots of different streams. So, mm. yeah, mm. it's it's a it's a tricky one. And I have seen, obviously, it was floated today the idea that maybe Arsenal might end up having to forfeit this match. Um, some people cited the precedent of Spurs failing to fulfil a Europa League fixture. Uh, I think based on the COVID situation at the time, but that seems to me quite a, a distinct and separate case. You know? Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And I did. I did ask the club today. You know, was the possibility of behind closed doors explored? And they said all possible considerations. You know, they they thought about every possible thing. I don't know why the decision to play the game behind closed doors didn't go ahead, whether it was a case that there's still a measure of policing required. I don't quite really understand what that might be if it's a behind closed doors game, but whether it was financial, which is possible mm -hmm. as well, because there's a lot of revenue that's involved in um, a fixture, whether it was um, something to do with broadcasting, sponsorship, advertising, you know, like unless there is a disciplinary reason to play a game behind closed doors, like it damages the product, doesn't it? The brand of the Europa League is not what it is if the stadium is empty. It's much better if there's like 40, 50,000 people in there. And, yeah. you know, maybe that's a consideration. I don't quite know why that wasn't a goer, but I think when we look at the schedule ahead and when we look at what lies um, in weight in terms of the fixture list and how then we squeeze this game in, it. I wonder if they might think it's a missed opportunity because look at the fixture list. Where does this game go? Well, there's not currently uh, an, an obvious gap, is there? I mean, mm. the one that's being talked about potentially is, you know, could the Manchester City game be moved? I think that's October 19th. Um you know, is there a possibility of shifting that later in the mm. season uh, and squeezing it in that midweek? But ultimately, PSV have to agree to these days. I mean, you know, PSV will feel like we were ready to play the game yeah. on Thursday night. And so, you know, why should we compromise our schedule uh, based on the English authorities? Um, and that might be the challenge. You know, you might find yourself dealing with... Uh, Slightly intransigent PSV. Um, so yeah, that that is a problematic one. I mean, just purely uh, from a kind of fan perspective, you know, how would you feel about uh, the club having to give up the game essentially? I mean, it'd be very disappointing because it's completely out of their hands. You know, this isn't Arsenal deciding not to play the game. They want to play the game. They wanted to play the game. I'm sure they've explored every possibility to get the game on this week and it hasn't happened. I just, you know, when when you talk about um, sporting integrity and fairness and all that kind of stuff, you know, you can't have a situation where where one pair of teams finishes a group after the other, you know? Yeah. I don't think that's right. So the games are scheduled to be played um, by November 3rd. Whether it's possible that one of the other fixtures could be delayed, I don't quite know. Um, it strikes me that unless there was some special dispensation, then we would have to complete 
our round of fixtures by November 3rd when the other final game in the group takes place. Um, let me just have we a have quick... Zurich that night, yeah. Yeah, we have Zurich and uh, it's Bodo Glimt and, and PSV Eindhoven. I mean, it is an interesting idea that, you know, even though it's out of Arsenal's hands, Arsenal are the ones that cannot fulfil the fixture. Mm-hmm. PSV will be sitting there going, well... Um, We'll take our 3-0 win. Well, yeah, I mean, it's quite possible that that's what they're thinking. And, like, I wouldn't necessarily blame them either. Some people might say, well, it's not very sporting. Maybe it's not. Some people might say these are fairly um, unique circumstances which have brought about this postponement. And I think that's absolutely right. But unless PSV agree to rescheduling the game in the slot where that Manchester City league game is, and then that game is moved to some point after the World Cup, then I don't know how we can finish our group at the same time as the other teams. So that then brings into the... I I, I know they did say at no point was the, was the, um, the idea of the game being forfeited brought up. I don't think Arsenal are going to bring that up, are they? Um, <laughs> They'll be exploring all other avenues first. I Absolutely. Think, you know? But if I was PSV, and I was thinking, well, three points with a 3-0 win on the board from a game at the Emirates where that would have been an outstanding result for them, I mean, it would be tempting, wouldn't it? Yeah, and I think it's a significant fixture. I mean, I think there's a decent chance these games between PSV and Arsenal decide the group. Um, I think they're probably the two stronger sides uh, in the t- in the group. And I think, you know, I wonder if some Arsenal fans would be tempted looking at the sheer amount of fixtures that we have to play uh, to chuck it. You know, I do wonder if there might be one or two Arsenal fans out there thinking, well, we could probably do without carrying an extra game in October. But I think it's a game Arsenal need to play. I think it's um, an important one. And I, I, I just have to hope that they can find time in the schedule. But what the broader picture here is, you know, you're going to have a very uh, loaded potential second half of the season, especially if Arsenal mm. get through in Europe and stay in cup competitions. You know, we're already talking about potentially an Everton game, potentially a Manchester City game that was supposed to be played before the World Cup, bumping over until after Christmas. So um, we always knew the World Cup would play havoc with the schedule. We didn't necessarily anticipate some of these other factors that might play into it. Um, So it's going to be interesting. Mm, It is. I mean, the whole thing, um, it'd be difficult enough, challenging enough without the World Cup right in the middle of the season. But but this, you know, it's like just a gigantic roadblock, isn't it? Because football's gone for, what is it, the best part of best part of six weeks yeah um and i've seen people talk about the efl fixture uh you could move that or you could play the psv game but unless you get an extension from uefa to do that then um yeah i don't know how that happens because that game i think is scheduled for the 8th of november whereas the final group game is um currently scheduled for the 3rd of november so yeah and then you've got to play the efl game somewhere so yeah, and you should play. And, and look, it's not an easy EFL game either. It's against Brighton. You know, this is not yeah. like a game against Colchester where you could say, you know what, we could maybe, excuse, pardon me to Colchester, but it was just the first name that came to mind, like a, a lower division team. I'm not saying we would, you know, 
it's just that, like, uh, do you remember what Liverpool did last season? Was it last season or the season before? Yeah, where they a team of kids, did they? They sent out a team of kids in the EFL Cup and their their first team was away at the Club World Cup or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you can put together a competitive team from our academy for a game against Brighton. Whereas maybe if you were playing a second division side, something like that, you could potentially risk it. But again, it all depends on, on getting more from UEFA. So... Um, yeah, and, and I have to say, like, after my experience last season, I don't really like the whole games in hand thing. You know, we <laughs> we looked at, spent a long time looking at a league table with lots of games in hand, and then, you know, they all tend to come thick and fast, and actually getting the points on the board is sometimes more challenging than you imagine. Um, I want Arsenal to play their games, especially when, you know, obviously with the exception of the Manchester United game, they've been in very good form. Mm. Um and it feels like a time we should be capitalising on our relatively strong position and instead some of these games are slipping away from us. We did have some questions, so I might as well just throw one in now. A couple of people on the Discord stickers says, do you think the rest will benefit us? Getting party back, other players getting over little niggles or hurt us because of further congestion to a really congested back half of the season. And AFC Dave 143 says, is there any silver lining to these game postponements? For example, getting party and Smith Rowe fit. I mean, you know, there's been some good news about Thomas Partey. He's back in full training. I think if Arsenal uh, had played Everton at the weekend, I think there's a decent chance he would have been involved in that matchday squad. Um, I don't know whether or not he would have played, but, you know, he might have had some involvement. Is that an advantage? I'm not sure. It's impossible to say, isn't it? Because you just don't know what state your squad will be in when those games do come around. Mm. I think, without wishing to just completely reiterate myself, on balance, my feeling is that Arsenal are in quite a good place at the moment, even without a couple of important players. And that if we had the opportunity to go and play these games and get points on the board, capitalise on the good vibes, the good atmosphere, the good form... I think this was the time to do it. And I think Everton and PSV as home games were set up pretty nicely for us, actually. Heading into a slightly trickier, I think, Brentford game, potentially. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I would far rather have seen the matches played. And I think we had enough to get us through those games. But what about you? Mm, you're going to have to play them at some point. So... Uh, the question is, are there, are those guys who are fit now and back, are they going to stay fit? That's uh, that's kind of the question with yeah. you know with a couple of them. It's like, oh, good, they're fit, but for how long? Um, uh, and that's the question. I mean, do you what do you think about the World Cup in general, though, when it comes to the impact on players and leagues and teams and and everything else? Because I think a lot of focus is on the guys who are going to go the guys who are going to be in Qatar, the guys who are going to train and play and all that kind of stuff and travel and the whole lot, right? But surely the bigger challenge in a way is the players who just have their season stopped right in the middle of it because these guys are going to keep playing. They're going to play competitive football even if you have some friendlies, which I'm sure the Premier Premier League clubs will be doing. Um, and maybe other clubs across Europe, you know, you might find some um, friendlies against teams from other leagues, which might be an interesting aspect to uh, this World Cup break. But 
it's maintaining the fitness and the conditioning of of these guys like the majority of them who aren't going to be at the world cup and what the impact might be on them in the second half of the season like you could say the world cup guys are going to come home tired but what happens to the guys who stop and then kind of start again uh, you know it, it strikes me that that's as much at least of an injury risk than the guys who are going to go to the world cup yeah possibly i think it could also go the other way i mean you know, many people connected to sports science or coaching in England have spoken about the hope for a winter break, a true winter break. And this is more than I think mm. any of them ever asked for in that respect. I mean, Tom Allen, who's the head of sports science at Arsenal, will this will be a, a big challenge and test for him in terms of building uh, a regime that can kind of keep those players maintained. I imagine they'll get some time off, I think, like you, There'll probably be some friendly games. There'll probably be some warm weather training. You know, Arsenal have gone to Dubai twice, uh, at least twice under Mikel Arteta. I wonder if they'd consider something like that again in this period. Um, but it is going to be fascinating. I think it's just going to have... It's such a curveball in the season and we've not really ever seen anything quite like it before. Mm. So difficult to say what kind of impact it will have. I, I have this feeling on a slightly different note that the winter transfer window might be a bit busier than normal. I just wonder if because of the length of the break, especially when you include the tournament mm. and the fact a tournament takes place, which is always a bit of a catalyst for the market, I do wonder if it may have the feel slightly more of a summer window than the conventional winter one where you're balancing games and, you know, a limited time in which to do deals, I think maybe it might be a bit more flexible and fluid than we're accustomed to. Right. So you're saying post-World Cup <laughs> transfer mayhem. So I'm saying delay all the fi – postpone all our fixtures until after January – when we'll have five new signings. Yes, that's what I'm <laughs> confirming. Um, I, did, I did like the... Did you see the tweet during the rounds today? Um, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, it comes from Luke, who's at LukeWeb12 on Twitter. He says, Christmas Day, looking tasty. 8 a.m., open presents. 9 a.m., Arsenal versus Everton. 11 a.m., <laughs> Arsenal versus PSV. 1 p.m., Turkey. 3 p.m., King's Speech. 5 p.m. Brentford versus Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got one of those games in the diary for Sunday. So it, it does feel, it has felt like quite the hiatus though, even, you know, in this limited period of time. So, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, Spurs last season, they had a couple of games rescheduled and then they came back after January, I think with a substantially stronger squad. I mean, the signing of Kulisevsky mm. alone really helped them. So, these things can distort the league table and have important permutations here and there. It just, it does, you know, when uh, we had the COVID season, the initial one where, you know, project restart, there was all that talk of asterisks, you know, there'd always mm. be an asterisk against that Liverpool title because it was played by closed doors and this and that. And um, this season will have an asterisk all of its own with, with the World Cup in the middle of it. It's just completely unprecedented. 
Um, let me ask you this one. There is another little question here from Annabelle Rackham, who's mm-hmm. at Annabelle Moore, who said, Arteta has a lot to contend with, has had a lot to contend with in his short time as manager with COVID, postponements, Winter World Cup. So what Arsenal manager do you think has come closest in terms of challenges faced in your lifetimes? And like, I know we've made this point before, um, but like, the amount of just stuff that has happened since he took over as manager and he's had to deal with, it's, uh, it's you know, it's just bonkers, isn't it, really? It is, and I guess it's a reflection of sort of the state of the world more broadly. Um, you know, he's, he's a manager in quite chaotic times. I'm not sure I can think of uh, a manager who's had to firefight or deal with, you know, so many different crises that were kind of completely out of his hands. Um you know, there have been other managers in stressful and difficult situations. George Graham being called to explain himself to the board must have been a pretty difficult day to handle. But I think Arteta, yeah, he, he has been unfortunate in that respect. Um, what else then? What else are we going to talk about? This is a weird one because normally, you know, you have a little bit of a gap or you have an interlull and there's plenty of stuff going on. But this last, you know, few days anyway have been quite, um, quite weird, haven't they? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I imagine it's weirder. Um, there's a fly buzzing around the room, and it's just landed on my laptop screen, which is oh, absolutely no. lovely. Um, the this they've been particularly weird in the UK. I don't know. I can't speak to obviously what it's been like in Ireland, but here uh, events have played havoc with everything. I mean, even the TV schedules are up the spout. Mm. Celebrity MasterChef was cancelled, Andrew. For goodness' I, sake. I know, as if losing the football wasn't bad enough. Um, but yeah, so it has felt like a particularly weird period and media coverage of the game has been different. I mean, I you know, I think the day that the Queen passed away, I went on BBC Football. I check in quite a lot, mm. with, you know, just a kind of good base to sort of see the news. And I went on BBC Football and the main story on BBC Football was... Um, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth has passed away. And I was like, Mm. wow. Um, You know, so everything has been a bit skewed and it's been quite a quiet time. I mean, Arsenal, uh, I think Arsenal, I'm right in saying, even sort of stopped their online coverage of of the Europa League game. Is that correct? They did, yeah, at halftime. Yeah. At halftime, yeah, it was... um... So slightly sort of surreal, Mm. really. Whether you think it's right or wrong, it's definitely been surreal and unusual. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it's going to feel slightly odd resuming things. But, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully, it's difficult to say Arsenal go into the game with any kind of momentum, maybe mm. because they lost their last league game, but also just because it feels like there's been this hiatus. Yeah, and, and look, we're going to play this game against Brentford on Sunday, uh, hopefully, or thankfully. Um but after that, then there's another two-week break. I mean, do you think there's any possibility that international managers might let affected players play? I mean, is it even possible to schedule a, a game during this this interlull, like the PSV game? Is that possible? So. I it's mean, a bit quick, you know, isn't it? Dealing with UEFA is one thing. Dealing with FIFA is another. I think it would be beyond the realms of possibility, to be honest. And, and, and also, those international games are... are important and significant to a number of managers. I mean, it's mm, key for their It's the last one, isn't it? World Cup, exactly. Um, and p- every player 
who's in contention to go in a World Cup squad will want to be with their international team, that's for sure, at this particular time. Um, so, yeah, we'll have to wait another fortnight before we come back for the North London derby. I'm glad we've got a game in between United and the North London derby, that's for sure. That is for sure. Um, yes. Well, okay. Let's take a little break here um, in part one because we do have some questions. We can come back with those and uh, that will get us through uh, part two. In the absence of any football, uh, that's the best we can do. So uh, go make a couple, whatever it is. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want Salon Perfect Nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny system, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny system with code PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of. Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog, uh, Arsblog? Arsblog uh, member. <laughs> Arsblog, that's the Irish in me coming out. Um, on Patreon, I think that's what I was saying. Um, let me ask you a question first. Please do. And hopefully it's about football and we can it sort of have is. some stuff to talk it about. It sort of is. It's, it's um, you know, the internet's been going a long while, right? Oh, yeah. We've all seen some funny stuff. We've all seen some not so funny stuff. But it's there sometimes to entertain us. And you can think of some of the, the funny videos that you saw. Was it a cat falling down or a man? falling off a swing and landing on his face, whatever it is. You know, those hilarious fail videos. Yeah. Mm. 
Sorry but about that. that's okay. I opened a window. Carry on. That's fine. Could have been worse. Um, <laughs> is the Alexandra Lacazette interview video from this weekend up there with one of the funniest you've ever seen? It's incredible. I mean, <laughs> I somebody sent it to me and I opened it. And the first thing that happened, I think you see an interviewer asking him the question. And I was like, where's this going? And I was like, this is in French and it's not subtitled. Am I going to be able to follow it? And then when he opened his mouth, I think I squawked in like disbelief. It's absolutely extraordinary. You'll have to play it. I've got it. I've got it. Here Thank it is. Goodness. Here's if people haven't seen it. This is Alexandra Lacazette being interviewed after what was Leon's last game? Did they win? Uh, Leon results. I, I don't even they know. Drew nil nil. But uh, let's well, there's two one. They lost to Monaco. That's oh, you're right. Two one to Monaco. Two yeah. one to Monaco. And uh, this was Alexandra Lacazette being interviewed after. If you don't speak French, and I don't, um, don't worry about it because it's not really no, necessary. No, no. It's not the way he's, it's not what he says, it's how he says it. Yeah, so here we go. Here, here it goes. C'était un match euh, qui nous semblait équilibré, qui a basculé sur euh, deux coups de pied arrêtés. Vous saviez que Monaco était bon euh, dans ce registre. Ouais, on les savait dangereux sur coups de pied arrêtés. On sait que c'est notre point faible. <laughs> En plus, on manque de taille à ce niveau-là. Donc, euh, c'est dommage parce que je pense, euh, à part les deux coups de pied on était bien dans le jeu. Ils ont eu quelques situations, nous aussi. <laughs> like, obviously, he's, uh, he's been screaming at his teammates. He's lost his voice. I mean, listen, we've all had a day where we've screamed at people or been to a football match or whatever. I've never heard that happen. I mean, he, wow, he has destroyed his vocal cords. I mean, that's up uh, there with Mikel Arteta, isn't it? You know, It some- is. That's what it's, he learned from Mikel. What did, what's the one thing that you learned from Mikel Arteta as, as a manager? Well, it was how to make it sound like I'd huffed a fucking gallon of helium <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I was doing a post-match interview. Unbelievable. I mean, fair play to him. You know, it often takes courage for footballers to go and do a post-match interview after a defeat, but especially so when you sound like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Did he know that that sound was going to come out? Do you think he he must have? Because you know it's it, it's not something that happens over the course of ninety minutes. You know that kind of um, that kind of hoarseness or croakiness or squeakiness, whatever you want to call it. I think you've got to have that before the game. You know? That's a chronic issue, I think, by that stage. Yeah, uh-huh. he's had that for a couple of days. He lost his voice for a couple of days, and it's coming back. And I don't quite know. Like the bass notes were gone. They were. I mean, yes, it was very, very strange. Uh, on that note, Gibrarian said, "Did you watch? Did you guys watch any good games from other leagues over the weekend? Are there any you're looking forward to this week? And will you get bored enough to watch an MLS game?" No. I mean, no game that you could have watched would have been more entertaining than that, than that Alexandre Lacazette uh, interview. I can say that for sure. Uh, no, I didn't watch any other football. Actually, I watched. Uh, I watched a movie. Mm-hmm. But that was it. What was the movie? Nope. Oh, is that good? I heard it's good. Nope. Oh, shame. <laughs> no, in my opinion, I didn't. Um, I didn't really dig it. And I like him. I like Jordan Peele and, and yeah. what have you. But it didn't do it for me. Not his best work. No, I don't think so. No, I didn't watch any full games. I saw bits and pieces. I saw Nuno Tavares uh, getting more praise uh, in his, for Marseille. Um, what did you make of his comments last week where he talked about like 
I really wanted the um, sell-on clause, but but Arsenal wouldn't let it happen, etc., etc. I think that what we've seen with William Saliba to an extent is that, you know, players like to play to the crowd they're playing in front of at that particular time. And, Mm. you know, maybe it's about his... Uh, him wanting to make a positive impression at Marseille. And, you know, at the moment, they're the masters he's serving effectively. You know, he wants to say the right things by them because he's a Marseille player right now. But I, I found it interesting. I mean, I you know, it, clearly it suggests he's open to that possibility. I mean, mm. an option's only ever an option, right? Um, a, a player ultimately gets what they want usually in those scenarios. But I did find that telling that he was like, a, I would have been open to it. And I have to say as well as he's doing, and he is doing really, really well. Um, I am still not particularly confident that he'll come back to Arsenal. No, me neither. Me neither. He said something about like how he's finally um, playing in his best position or his, mm. you know, his real position, whatever and he's it was. playing as a wing back, right? Yeah. But I mean, it's not like he was being played on the right at Arsenal. You know? No, and, he, and when he did play as a fullback, he was given a lot of license. Um, or he took a lot of license anyway. Whether he was yeah. Given it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Mick just uh, always wanted to give it to him, judging by the fact he kept taking him off. Um, so yeah, I saw that. I saw events in Serie A uh, oh, in the Juventus my. game, which were blockbuster to say the least. They certainly were. Uh, Rob Gooner on the Discord says, VAR is only shit in England, right? Because he wrote it all in caps. So I, I felt I had to had to do it in that way. I mean, that was astonishing, wasn't it? Yes. Um, if you haven't seen it, there are some videos online doing the rounds. Basically, uh, I think I'm right saying events are score what they think is a late yep. winner. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy who scores it is sent off for his celebration. That gets a second yellow for taking a shirt off. He, he came on as a sub, got booked in the 83, 83rd minute, scored scored the header, ran off celebrating like a madman, took his shirt off and got a second yellow card for taking your shirt off, which I yes. still think is one of the most pathetic rules in football. I agree, actually, because someone asked me, I think my wife asked me, we're watching the game together and somebody got booked for celebrating. She was like, why Why is that the rule? Why has he been booked for that? Um, maybe it was actually, maybe it was the women's Euros final. I'm not sure. But somebody was booked for taking off their shirt. And she was like, why is that a rule? And I said, well, you know, it incites the crowd. And she was like, how? Nipples. <laughs> Nipples. And I had no answer. Would you, I think probably the idea was that, like, um, players were using their undershirts to send messages or express messages or whatever. Sure. Wasn't that? Paddy power, etc. Well, that was more underpants. That was underpants. That was underpants. But, you know. but, I mean, sometimes it was just a, a you know message of solidarity with a family member or whatever it might be. But then I guess they were concerned that it would get political. I don't really think that, you know, football fans are going to be um, incited or aroused or overly chumescent in Depends the crowd the because of, well, yes, true. If it was Giroud. You know, it's a different thing. Yeah. Um, but really, nipples aren't going to do it. Um, I, I do think it's a stupid rule, but I guess they all know the rule as well. 
Um, yes. Anyway, so he was sent off promptly, <clears throat> but then VAR got uh, involved in the action. Yep. And disallowed the goal for offside. Not the player who had scored the header, but there was another player uh, allegedly in the goalkeeper's line of sight. I think I'm right to say. Yeah, he went for the ball. Bonucci, he went to try and head it as well. He missed it, didn't make any contact, but he certainly went to um, head the ball. Mm. And on that basis, you know, the offside decision was correct, except... There was another player that they didn't even take into account in the VAR footage. Yeah. So I've seen shots of you know <laughs> the pitch where there's another player basically playing everyone on side who <laughs> does not feature in the little line drawing replays. And then obviously once the goal was disallowed, all hell broke loose. Somebody else got sent off, I think. Um, the, the manager, Allegri, got sent off. Allegri got sent off. It's just pure chaos. Um and yeah, another shining example of video technology working an absolute treat. Mayhem, VAR mayhem. Once again, it's just, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Was- Every time you think you've seen the worst that it can bring out of the officials, something new happens. <laughs> At this point, it's like performance art in a way. Like how can they fuck this up even more? Yeah. And you know what will happen? It'll be fucking brilliant at the World Cup. Like, I think, was what was the World Cup? The, what was the last World Cup? Well, 2018, Russia. Russia. Yeah. And wasn't it pretty good in that? And it was before it was being introduced. And I think a lot of people who had doubts about VAR were going, actually, you know, if this is the way it's being implemented, it's probably not bad. Mm. And uh, here we are, four years later, and it's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty bad. Yes, afraid so. Um, and But with the World Cup, maybe it's a better class of officials. Um, you know, theoretically at least. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, theoretically. Uh, so, let's have another question. Something a bit different. Alexander Nielsen mm-hmm. on Twitter, at Nielsen Alexander, says, How do you view the fact that the three Gabrielles weren't picked for Brazil in the final games ahead of the World Cup. Could this impact them and their self-confidence in any way? I think I saw um, Tim Stillman talking about this. And from what I understand, it's about giving other players a a chance, isn't it? Like they, they're pretty much, they know what they're getting with Gabriel Jesus, right? Yeah. I don't think he's at risk of not going. Um, I thought I saw somebody tweet, and I apologize, I can't remember, but like Gabrielle, uh, Big Gabby, is going to be in the squad as well as like the fourth defender. I think that's what they said. But I don't suppose it augurs particularly well for Gabrielle Martinelli, unless they've absolutely made their minds up about him. He's had a very good start to the season, made real progress, but there is, to be fair, a, r- a fairly strong selection of attacking players for the Brazil manager to pick from, right? It's pretty impressive. <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw one of those sort of graphics you see of Brazil's attack, and I, I sort of scoured it to find Martinelli, and he wasn't in there. But the list of players ahead of him, that you know, there aren't too many you take a huge issue with. Um, no, I mean, Anthony, I take issue with that because, you know, 
Uh, sure. Yeah, I think so. But, uh, you know, Neymar, Richarlison, well, Richarlison, I take issue with that. I take issue with Richarlison and Anthony. Yeah. And I think both of them should go fuck themselves. But um, you've got um, Neymar, Rafinha, two boys at Madrid. Rodrigo, Vinicius Rodrigo Jr. and uh, who's the left winger? Vinicius. Vinicius, yeah. He's brilliant. Uh, Rafinha, I guess, is a contender. There's a, they've got a lot. They've got a lot to consider. Jesus, mm. obviously. Um. So yeah, I don't know. I, I'd love Martinelli to get in. Um. I mean, there are other players we've not even mentioned. You know, like Firmino. Um, yeah, he's in that squad, Firmino. Yeah. So. I mean, I don't think there's any negative to them not being selected. Really, I think, you know, they're just going to push even harder and 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 as as we say i think they've still got a chance mm. um certainly i think Jesus will be in there um it, you know it would mean an enormous amount to them i know that for martinelli in particular that world cup has been a big focus of his for a long time and he's really fought tooth and nail to get mm. into that squad so it will be disappointing that's another factor to consider in how the world cup might uh, impact the season, you know, players who aren't selected, how that will affect them, or players who are selected and things maybe don't go as they hoped. How will that affect oh, them and their the, mentality? The Arshavin. Uh, Remember the Arshavin effect? Absolutely. Yeah. That was that was not qualifying, wasn't it, I believe? I think so, and he was just absolutely bereft afterwards. Yeah. So, mm. I mean, the thing about Martinelli is if he doesn't get in, I mean, it's not like he's looking at that squad and, and thinking, well... How the fuck did I not get in there? I mean, apart from obviously Anthony and Raf, uh, Richarlison, who can both go yeah, fuck themselves. Yeah, and also it's it's he's not in last chance saloon here. You know what no, I mean? No, exactly. It might be a motivation for him. I mean, I'm sure he'll be sad and disappointed, but um, if it means he focuses and gets ready for the next World Cup, I know that's four years down the line. Um, but you know, maybe it's it's more motivation. Maybe he's he's ready to show that. This guy made the wrong decision by picking Anthony and Richarlison, who, as you know, can both go fuck themselves. <laughs> um, let me let me ask you a question here. Um, bu- 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 bum, John Larkin says, "Goodly morning, lads. Hope Lana is recovering well. She is. She's doing better. Thank you. Getting there slowly, slowly. Anyway, out of curiosity, would you read anything into the fact that Gabrielle started last Thursday night instead of Saliba? Was it just because he's more familiar with holding, or has Saliba uh, now become the main centre back in the squad? And this is, of course, the game against uh, FC Zurich when uh, Gabrielle started in central defence alongside holding." Yeah, interesting one. I mean, we we wondered, didn't we, if Tommy Asu might have played at, at yeah. centre back, but Cedric didn't travel. Um, he had an injury, which I think put paid to that idea. I think if Cedric had been fit, we might well have seen <clears throat> Gabriel given a rest. Uh, but I suppose Holding was always going to play the game, mm. and if you're looking at Rob Holding in there, maybe Gabriel w- was just the most obvious natural partner you know being a left-sided center back sure and i also wonder if you know there's physical data that the staff sports scientists and and the like have access to that we don't and Mm. that may have informed their decisions too and on this so uh uh, another one that's sort of close to uh, the physical aspect of the game luke uh who's at petit's ponytail one says have the club refla- uh, replaced Shad Forsyth at all? And I seem to remember that 
you did something did you do an article on this but yeah what? i mentioned him in this show actually because i saw that question tom allen um who was with the club previously has stepped up to become i think head of sports science uh and that is effectively an internal replacement for shad forsyth's role there has been a suggestion that arteta might add another member of staff who's maybe a bit more on pitch focused you know mm. in terms of being on on the grass i mean tom does some work on the grass and we, you know if you went to any of the open sessions in pre-season you would have seen him doing physical work with the team but I do think I had heard that Mikel was potentially looking to bring somebody else in to kind of augment that setup it hasn't happened yet but I wouldn't rule that out in future but yeah there was no external replacement for Shad right. basically Tom Allen stepped up and uh, got a promotion an internal solution an internal solution we love those historically we sure do um Andrew Turner asked a very simple question okay. on Twitter. Andrew says, uh, is all this news going to mean Partey will be back for Brentford? Uh, I don't know. I mean, he's back in full training, so he's certainly in consideration to start, isn't he? So, Yeah, I think he will start. That's my my opinion. Well, there you go. Um, uh, I just think he's so important to the team. They've been quite uh, careful with him. I think, mm. in terms of you know choosing the time from to return to full training, to return to full contact, um, and yeah, I think he's got a very good chance of playing Sunday. Okay, Alexander, who's at Alex Ellsworth underscore, says it must be so frustrating to go get your full name on Twitter and find out someone else has it, and you have to add an underscore. Yeah, that is annoying. You'd have to. Uh, I don't know. You can't do anything. At Alex Ellsworth to leave you his Twitter username in his, in his will. Uh, will and then kill him. I mean, that's a bit of a, I was going to say paper trail, but it's a bit digital there, isn't it? You know? Yeah. I think you'd be fine. I think you'd be fine. All right. Anyway, he says, when we inevitably play a football match again, which element of our play are you most optimistic will improve? And which element are you concerned could be figured out by opposition and may require adjustment? Um, what I want to see us improve is our efficiency in converting territory and possession into goals. Mm. Um, that most simple thing, scoring goals. goals. Yes. Yeah. But I feel like that is a bit of a thread for Arsenal this season. I think we're playing good football and we've not quite clicked in terms of how clinical we are. Mm. Um, but I'm optimistic that it's within our capacity, you know? I think the talent is there. We're doing a lot right. Um, sometimes it just needs that final piece to click. And I think that's the one. On the, on the, on the other side, um, in terms of something that, you know, maybe is, could have faded, I guess you'd have to say, you know, getting the ball as far as that. I mean, Arsenal's control of possession has been a real positive and, mm. you know, control of territory and you know maybe some of the automatisms and instinctive understanding that's developed between the players could have faded but but they are training together every day you know it's not like they've gone on holiday for two weeks so yeah you'd like to think not hmm. yeah I'd agree. we I, could iron out a few of the you know we've seen some individual errors at the back as well sure sure just a little bit not casual but we've let in some goals that we shouldn't have let in 
So yeah. if we could stop doing that, I think I'd be I think I'd be happy with that. And I agree with you about just turning the the dominance in possession and territory into more end product. I think you know we could make games safer for ourselves and the the potential benefits of that in a season when fixtures are going to be very congested we've got nine games in august if you're not fighting to the death you know up to the 96th minute it might make just a little bit of a difference when it goes to the next game or the next game you know and just how how much energy you can conserve i'm not saying you don't have to work obviously you do but you know it's 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 a lot easier at three nil up than it is when you're hanging on to a two one you know yeah Absolutely, and you can rest more players as well, especially with five subs. That's true. Um, we had a couple of questions that have sort of mentioned Gabriel, but uh, Caps, who's at Caps AFC, just, you know, he, he goes for the... Uh, what's that phrase? Goes for the gullet? Is that a thing? Goes, goes for, for the gullet? Well, have I made that up? Jugular. Jugular. <laughs> I was like, what? Your gullet is not in the same place as your jugular. What's your jugular? It's a vein in your neck, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And your gullet is your belly, isn't it? Isn't it? The passage by which food passes from the mouth. It's the esophagus. So they're in similar places, to be fair. Right. Um, you could reach the gullet by going through the for the jugular. Right. Go for the jugular. Well, a lot of my uh, content's about murdering people today. I need to be very careful. So anyway, Cap says... Would love to hear your thoughts on Gabriel because he has so much clear quality, but we're starting to see more and more that he has a mistake in him. Wondering how you think we move forward with him. Um, I mean, I think that's a bit harsh, personally. I mean, I think he has made mistakes, but I think he's still, what, a 24-year-old central defender who for the most part has been really solid for us, you know? Um, if there's a level of expectation around central defenders that they never make a mistake, I mean, we saw William Saliba make a mistake and get applauded. Um, and I know that the circumstances around that are quite unique in a way because of how much people had invested in him and, and all the rest of it. But, sure, you know... I don't think Gabriel is a particularly error-prone central defender. I think he has made a mistake this season, a big one, obviously, when we got uh, caught on the or he got caught on the ball against Fulham. But I don't really worry about our central defenders that much anymore, and that's that's nice, you know. Um, I think we've got what a twenty-one-year-old in Saliba. Ben White's 24. Gabrielle is 24. I think we have to acknowledge that as a collection of central defenders, it's pretty good, especially when you take into account their age, because often central defenders don't really come into their prime until the sort of mid to late 20s, you know, because yeah. of the experience that they gain and, and everything else. So, look... I do wonder, like, what a Ben White Saliba partnership might look like, but I don't. I'm not sort of ready to throw out Gabrielle with the with the bathwater. Like, I don't want to turn Gabrielle into a baby, 
and then throw him out with the bathwater. Because you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater unless, of course, the babies are Anthony and Richarlison, who, as everybody knows at this point, can go fuck themselves. So in answer to the question, how do we move forward with Gabrielle, your proposition is we don't turn him into a baby. Correct. Just I think that's something we can all agree with. Let him continue his To mature his into an adult. Yeah. And let's not try and regress him exactly. to nappies. This is not honey, I shrunk the kids. I nearly well, went, went a bit I went, Alex like like there. Said there, didn't I? <laughs> I just do the rest of the podcast like this. Um I have a question here from Lorick four nine six. Okay. And he says with consistent injury setbacks for Emil Smith Rowe over the last eight to nine months, will we regret not taking the thirty five million pounds Villa offered in twenty twenty one? No. We won't. Because um, we're not turning him into a baby either. Well, I'll tell you why we won't. Because, A, he made a massive contribution last season. Yep. Which should not be forgotten. And although it ended in disappointment, we did return to Europe that season. That was worth a good deal of money to the club. He um, also signed a new contract that summer instead of going to Aston Villa. And I think if you were to put Emma Smith-Rowe on the market at any time in the next 18 months, I think you could achieve at least that fee, if not more. So I don't hugely worry about that decision. And I still think that, you know, his future... uh, may very well be and should really be with Arsenal. I still mm. think he's a player of enormous potential. I often think about that moment in All or Nothing when Granite Xhaka kind of shouts over the dressing room to Emil Smith-Rowe and says, from the from your first day here, I knew you were the future of this club. Mm. And I was struck in midweek by an interview I saw on goal with Kieran Tierney talking about he was asked who the most talented player in training is. And granted, all these answers are kind of coloured by relationships and friendships and dressing room, but he didn't really hesitate before saying Smith Rowe in terms of, you know, what he can do with the ball at his feet and mm. the threat he provides. So he's a player I'm still very excited about. Um, but it's not all good news. I am worried about the, the health and the fitness and sure. the injury situation because... He's got a, a history of problems and pain and issues that keep him out of games. Mm. Um, and to be honest, I think he's a case where we have to sort of hope that he can mature out of that. And players have in the past. You know, I, I think of someone like Gal Cleese. He was a guy who was yep. sort of perennially injured, but then managed to put it together and play a lot of football. And... I hope the same could be true for Smith Rowe. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's all down to uh, Tom Allen. Well, yeah, no pressure, Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just sort of. What, what do you think about, um, you know, the decision to keep Smith Rowe last summer and also. Oh, well, it was absolutely the right decision. Absolutely the right decision to keep yeah. Smith Rowe because it wasn't, wasn't, was it last summer or the summer before? Oh, it must have been the summer before. I think it was the summer before, you know? So at that point, 
you know, we needed a player like Smith Rowe. You know, we needed what he could bring to the team. And, you know, you want to augment your squad these days with, with more talent, with more creativity, with more technical quality. But, you know, back then, it was, it was in, 2021, June yeah. 2021. Oh, yeah. So that's, well, it depends how what you call last summer, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So like... Oh, a year ago. I'm going mad. That was a year ago. Anyway, they were trying. I think um, perhaps Aston Villa were getting ideas a little above their station. I remember seeing a lot of uh, um, tweets being retweeted um, from Aston Villa fans who were like, oh, well, it's fine. Smith Rowe doesn't want to join us. He can just enjoy relegation with Arsenal. Uh, you know, those kind of things. It was like, where are Aston Villa in the table right now, actually? I don't know. Near down there? Down there? Right down there. Right down there. So 17th. Yeah. So, no, it was not the. I don't think we would regret it, even if, you know, things don't go as well as we would like for Smith Rowe. I think at that moment, it was the right thing to do for Arsenal, you know? So. Yeah. Uh, it is interesting, though, you know, if Arsenal had signed a winger in this window, had they bought Rafinha, say, um, you know, Smith Rowe's not had a lot of football as things stand, but he, he might have had potentially uh, even less, even if he was fit. So mm. I do think it's something worth having half an eye on, you know, over the next year to two years in terms of how much football is he getting? Is it enough to keep him happy? Is it enough for him to push for a place in the England squad? Mm. Because, you know, not not too long ago, he broke into that England squad and he was talked about potentially going to the World Cup. And I have to say right now, with the injuries and not being in the Arsenal first eleven, that World Cup feels quite a long way away. Yeah. Like he was away with the under-21s last yeah. summer. Um, yeah, I mean, the injuries have not been good. Like it is hard not to be worried, but hopefully they can um, they can get on top of them um, because I think that the the talent and the potential is there. But of course, you know that doesn't really mean anything if you're not playing. So fingers crossed, he can get himself uh, back to full fitness. So, what about this from uh, Lordy C, who's at Lordy C eighty five on mm. Twitter? And Lordy says, I'm really impressed with Nketiah's all-round play recently. How much of that is coaching versus natural development, would you say? Have the coaches been working on his back-to-goal, hold-up play, etc.? do you know? That's a really good question. We had a similar question as well. Um, I can't find it, but it was about player development and... and uh, uh, I think I opened it up, but I can't find it. I apologise. Uh, oh, yeah, here it is. It's from Speckle Jim. He said, do you think that the club worked directly on specific players' weaknesses, uh, as in and individually through uh, tailored training programs, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, I think it's clear that Eddie and Keddie's all-round game has improved. How much of that is down to sort of physical maturity mm -hmm. versus coaching? I'm not quite sure, but I I also think that, like, I'm not saying he was one-dimensional, but clearly his strength was in the box, and he was a poacher. He was a penalty box forward, right? But you've got to be able to do a bit more, and I'm sure that over the last 12 to 18 months, they've been doing plenty of work with Eddie on the coaching, uh, on the training ground. You know, what to do with your back to goal, how to turn, when to make the runs, you know, when to stretch defenses. We saw the other night um, against FC Zurich, you know, where he was there and he was bombing down the left wing and got the uh, the ball across for Marquinhos to score. Um, 
there's no question that he looks physically more powerful, more mature. He's better than um, he's better than he was outside the box. Uh, even the goal he scored the other night that was a chance he missed a couple of times last season. So yeah, I, I'm sure. Like I don't know the ins and outs of it, the nuts and bolts of it, but it's got to be down to to coaching. And part of coaching isn't just sort of picking the team and throwing them out on a Saturday and and doing the tactics, et cetera, et cetera. It is about improving the players that you have. Like that's that's part of the job for Mikel Arteta or for whoever's in charge. Like we saw it with, with Arsene Wenger, the way that he brought players through and improved them countless times. We saw a player come in and just get better and better and better under Arsene Wenger. And part of that is down to, you know, the confidence you give them, the motivation, but also the work that you do on the training ground and making sure that they understand the role that they're playing in the team when when they're picked. Yeah, I think it's less a case of taking a player's weakness and working on that specifically. It's more a case of having a vision and an idea of how you want, you know, certain positions on the pitch to be fulfilled. And Arteta has been quite clear I think in terms of what he expects from a centre forward and mm. uh, quite demanding, to be honest. And I think it has been an adjustment and adaptation for Eddie. And that has come on the training ground and they've done a lot of work in terms of his link play, his positioning, dropping in. Um, mm. And Eddie's taken a lot of that on board. And I think that's a big part of why Arteta likes Eddie so much has been his kind of willingness to do that and to be maybe a bit more unselfish than he'd been accustomed to being when coming through the youth ranks. But I think you touched on the physical dimension and I think that's a big, big part in Eddie's development is him kind of growing into his body and filling out a bit more. I mean, there was a picture of him going around in pre-season with his top off. Um, Nipples. I don't know if he was booked. Probably. No, probably. But the guy is absolutely ripped. I mean, he's in tremendous shape. Mm. Um, He's built a lot of muscle mass as well. And I just think as a centre forward, you can't underestimate how important that is. I mean, and he's learning from a guy now in Gabriel Jesus who shows you don't have to be the biggest guy to give your opponent a real mm. physical battle. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So, yeah, I hope the uh, the progress continues. Um I think we should probably just knock it on the head because there's not a great deal going on. We don't want to use up all the non-football stuff for the rest of the non-football that we've got in the weeks ahead. I did like this from Duncan Ogle Scan, who's at Duncan Ogle Scan on Twitter. He said, my spectating week, I had tickets to all of these. Thursday, the first day of the test, rained off. Friday, BMW PGA Golf, cancelled. Sunday, Suns football, cancelled. Did he need a ticket? Do you need a ticket to go to your Suns football? Anyway, I know what you're saying. Thursday, Arsenal versus PSV, postponed. Am I a jinx? Are there any events you want called off? So he, if he buys a ticket, I guess that's it. Yeah. Um, not really. I mean, I, 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 I want things back on, ideally. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people, you know, we've got a bank holiday on Monday, uh, which... I guess you know people will appreciate a day off work even if it is for a slightly somber occasion um is there anything i want cancelled i mean i guess there's a few other football matches that i wouldn't mind seeing going if you know if we could stop spurs fulfilling another fixture this season that mm, might be good forever yeah mm. just buy a spurs season ticket i'd say <laughs> 
I think that's too much to ask of an Arsenal fan. <laughs> yeah, it maybe. It really is. Uh, final one then. Gunner fan from Cannes. You said, with no games this week, I'm hoping you can answer this question. You spoke too soon. There is a game. Anyway, that's not the question. He said, Nonetheless, we shall try. He said, I'm getting married on October the 1st. Congratulations. Congratulations. Oh, I just realized yeah. what that means. He said, I live in Canada. So our North London Derby that day is 7.30 for me. How would you go about handling not overindulging when the result goes our way, but also what to do to save my mood? should the result not go our way? That is tough. Media blackout day? waking up wedding day and Arsenal have lost to Spurs. I think I'd call the wedding off. <laughs> I think I'd say it's an omen. Sorry, sorry, it's not going to happen. I think you might have to avoid the game. Mm. Do you think that's realistic? It's not possible these days. It's just not possible. You pick up your phone, open up, Twitter or whatever it is. Yeah, it sounds like you need to pick it up. It sounds like it's sending so you an alert. He's on the Discord. Yeah, he's if you've got the apps and, you know, you're getting score alerts and all that. So it's not possible. I think what you just need to do is have faith that um, Arsenal will do the business on October yeah. the 1st. And, and also, I, you know, you've got to look, be positive. What a wedding day that could be. Not only is he getting married and taking this woman to be his lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold in sickness and in health, blah, 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 for the rest of blah, 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 blah. But also Arsenal will have won the North London Derby. And if that's not, I mean, that's the cake. The wedding is the icing on the cake, isn't it? Yeah, sure. Many-tiered cake. The two great <laughs> lovers of his life. On the Arsenal one and cake. Oh, and of course, his, <laughs> his soon-to-be bride. Um, well, well, I'll have my fingers crossed for you on the day. That's yeah. a, That's... That's a daunting day right there. It is. I'll be there. I'll be there. Will you? Yep. Yep. Coming over for this one. So oh, fantastic. Hopefully I'm a, a good omen. I think the last North London Derby I was at was the one where Sesk scored that goal. Remember we hadn't stopped celebrating the Sorry, goal we just off. scored? And he just ran and made football look easy. When Sesk Beautiful. made football look the, like the simplest thing in the world, just oh, so take Marcel the ball. Odegaard's going to dribble from the halfway line, correct, to uh, make it two nil. Then we'll get the third goal before halftime. We can all relax. It'll be fine. That'd be nice. We'll all we'll all nip over to the wedding. Why not? Yeah, exactly. Have a bit of cake. Be good. All right. Well, um, I think we should leave it there, James. Um, thank you very much, as always, to you guys listening. Um, thank you for being here. Uh, hopefully, we'll have some some good football stuff to talk about uh, over the weekend game at Brentford. Um, we're doing it next Monday, are we? Did you yeah, say yes? I've, I've just been told I've got the day off because of the bank holiday. So it will be a normal time. On normal time, Arscast Extra. Hopefully, we're talking about a good result as well. Uh, for now, though, take it easy, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.